0: Today on Freight Up, you'll be finding out why your scrubber isn't working as hard as it normally does, why a cyclone heading for Western Australia should be named Force Majeure, and finally, should you be trading steel? All this and more on Freight Up. Hi, my name's Fernanda, and welcome back to Freight Up. Today, you'll be getting an update from our favorite fuel oil broker and backup Backstreet Boy, Archie Smith. We'll be chatting about capes and Panamaxes with our very own Carrie Deal. And finally, a voice that you haven't heard before. Our very own Mango Man, steelbroker Joshua Stern. All this and more on Freight Up. Freight Up! If you haven't already, please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And now, on to our fuel oil update. Archie, how was your Easter weekend?
1: It was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Full of good food, good drinks. I was out with friends. Was out in London on Friday and then out locally on Sunday. Yeah, it was lovely. I think we should have four day weekends more often. Uh, you um, heard it
0: here first, folks. Yeah. Archie Smith is advocating for more four day weekends. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> write your minister, write your MP. <laughs> It sounds like we weren't the only ones who had a relaxing four-day weekend. The market seems to have had a similar situation, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, naturally, the fuel oil market, it was an early European window on Thursday. So by 1 p.m. Thursday afternoon, there was very little liquidity. As far as I'm aware, Friday, there was nobody in at all globally. Saturday, Sunday, naturally, the markets are closed. And then Monday, I know uh, some of Asia were back in, but I mean, from what we saw in the markets, activity-wise, I think most of the globe were kind of respecting that Easter Monday. So there there was real no liquidity until everyone came back on Tuesday. In that time, the high sulfur barges euro crack has become a lot stronger. Yesterday, we saw it print as high as minus 13 and a half. When I left my desk, it was uh, around minus 14 even level, which is still historically quite high, which in turn has kind of collapsed the euro scrubber spread. And therefore, vessel owners who have those scrubbers fitted, not getting as much value from them at the minute.
0: So I've been hearing this term scrubber a lot. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Of course, yeah. So a scrubber is a filter that can be fixed to a vessel and it basically just filters and cleans the fuel as it's burnt. And if you have a scrubber in your vessel, you are able by law to use the higher sulfur content fuel because that scrubber does a good job in cleaning it for the environment and for the carbon emissions. And the scrubber spreads is the difference in price between the low-sulfur fuel and the high-sulfur fuel. So there's two scrubber spreads, you've got the Euro and the Sing. Euro is the difference between the 0.5% Euro and the 3.5% Euro, and then uh, the equivalent on the Sing side. When that high-sulfur crack is really high, which is what we're seeing at the minute, it brings up the price of the high-sulfur fuel or flat price, and therefore shrinks that scrubber spread difference. If your vessels are fitted to scrubbers, you want that spread to be as wide as possible because you're getting more value then from buying cheap high-sulfur fuel oil opposed to buying more expensive low-sulfur fuel oil. Obviously, at the minute, the high-sulfur fuel oil is quite high. Against the low-sulfur fuel oil, obviously, there is still marginally cheaper. But like I said, the value, you know, the bang for the buck, if you will, is not as prominent as what it has been previously, especially in the uh, Euro scrubber spreads.
0: Okay. Or all the high
1: fives, whatever you want to call them. All
0: right, Archie, we've been talking so much about high fives. I think it's time. Let's high five. High five. I experienced a bit of trauma on Monday because, as you know, we didn't come in to work. Yeah. But being American, I have this secondhand trauma of we don't get Easter off on Mondays.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So you came in? So I worked from home. And just nobody was there.
0: No one. Yeah, no one. No (laughs) one was answering my messages. He's thinking,
1: "Where is everyone?" (laughs) I was
0: like, "Oh wow, these." Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's it's a massive weekend over here. It really is.
0: That's so interesting. I mean,
1: whether whether you would kind of follow the religious side of it or not, you know, either way, it's quite you know just in terms of celebrations and whatnot people love Easter weekend
0: yeah no yeah. hopefully over time I'll, I'll learn to relax yeah. as I did yeah. I did I had anxiety
1: yeah.
0: uh, after I learned that you know no you're not going into work you, you, today still yeah a bit. you'll
1: have to brush up on our bank holidays
0: <laughs> a holiday that we do celebrate in the United States is inflation report day <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. I got a smile from Archie. That was that was, like that. that was a good one.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the market at the minute are kind of sitting on their hands because we are getting some US inflation news, which is kind of going to dictate or grant a better picture on what the Fed are going to do with interest rates. Uh, this is more kind of the crude oil market as a whole, uh, not so much the individual products. But when interest rates are high, And obviously, the Fed have been hiking by 25 basis points, 50 basis points at a time recently to try and tackle the inflation. It makes the dollar stronger. And where all Brent crude and and WTI it's all priced in dollars, the market are quite optimistic in hoping that today's news will result in the Fed relaxing the rate hikes or maybe even stopping them completely. And what that will do, that will soften the dollar. And so for holders of of foreign currency, so, you know, pound sterling, euro, whatever it might be you've then got more buying power of the Brent crude. So that's why the, the market's been ticking up slightly because of that optimism. That's why the Fed hikes have such an impact on the market purely because oil is priced in, in dollars.
0: So thank you so much for your update on the fuel oil market, Archie. And thank you for that update on the lads weekend.
1: No problem. Same again next week.
0: Yeah, same time next week. See you then.
1: Brilliant. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Now let's catch up with our favorite nom de guerre, Carrie Deal. So Gary, how you doing?
2: Yeah, really good, Fernanda. Thanks. How are you? Did you have a good Easter? Oh,
0: I'm doing really well. I had a great Easter. Uh, Did not know that we had Monday off.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Welcome Welcome to Britain. What's going on with the market? Well, you know, last week I did flag up that although the Cape market is bullish in the short term, there are some red flags which we need to watch out for. And sure enough, the market did stall a touch over these Easter holidays. I have to say, Although I'd love to take credit for these insights, Uh, this was probably less due to the macro red flags I spoke about last week, more due to some seasonal events. First off, it's not unusual to see a slight cooling off of activity after that pre Easter chartering rush.
0: And I'm sure the cyclone in Australia probably played a role in that.
2: Exactly. In this case, the effects are being greatly magnified by a major cyclone headed towards Western Australia. This looks set to be the first Category 4 cyclone to make landfall in that part of Australia in about a decade. And this has seen chartering activity very limited on that key C-5 route, that's West Aussie to China with iron ore, as vessels evacuate the anchorages at Port Hedland, and we expect the inner harbor set to be cleared of vessels by 2 a.m. local time Thursday morning. On the back of that, C-5 rates tipped below $8 again on very, very thin activity.
0: So can you elucidate a bit more into why the storm would cause rates to fall?
2: Good question. Uh, because Hedland is such a busy port, the longer the port is closed, the more likely it is that the miners will declare force majeure and actually cancel some cargoes rather than merely delaying them. If a substantial amount of cargo has to be cancelled, or what we call force majeured, this would obviously then dump a lot more spot tonnage on the back onto the market, a lot of ships which are looking for cargo. All of a sudden, that would impact rates. However, I do think it's important to note, as of now, the cyclone is expected to make landfall 75 kilometers from the port, We do not anticipate the port as of right now being closed longer than 36 hours. In the Atlantic Basin, rates have also dipped, however, and that is something to watch, with rumors in the market that some owners are making offers at $22 or less on that C3 Brazil-to-China route with iron ore. This could more reasonably be read, I think, as an excess of balusters competing for cargo, so it's probably worth watching that space to see where rates go. On the paper side, the capes have been grinding down since last Wednesday, and yesterday saw a particularly sharp drop caused by cyclone panic, I guess would be the word. Today, the market has rebounded, although May remains down on the week, marked at 20,375 value this morning on our FIS Live site. That's versus 22,800 last Wednesday. Q3, CAPE 5TC paper trading 23,375 today. That's versus last Wednesday's opening levels of 24,000.
0: So that was all for CAPE sizes, exactly, right? Yeah. Ah, let's move on to my favorite, <laughs> the Panamax.
2: Well, the Panamax physical market held up fairly well headed into Easter. Uh, the Atlantic once again provided most of the support. Rates on the 2A front hall route have continued to push north. The index now sitting a little bit over 26,500 while transatlantic business still looking very healthy, rates heading towards the mid-15,000s range. A quiet start this week, however, saw the Pacific Basin stall out just a little bit. Very, very few new cargos seem to be coming out of the NOPAC region, and more tonnage is building up. So rates are slipping slightly there, below 15,000 now for the Pacific Round Voyage. Meanwhile, South American grain chartering also has slowed down a bit, meaning that the P6 route is not offering that much support right now and draining tonnage away from the Pacific.
0: Let's go back to the futures then, Carrie. Tell us <laughs> yeah. about that.
2: Well, the futures on the Panamaxes have been looking pretty jittery. They're taking their leads from the Capes and drifting off uh, really since the middle of last week. Despite some marginal gains this morning, the May 4TC average paper that is marked at 15,900 on FIS Live, that's almost 2,000 down on last Wednesday's high. While the Q3 today marked 16,750, that's down nearly $1,000 on last Wednesday's high. So we are seeing some drops there.
0: And if you have one big takeaway for people in the freight market, Carrie, what would that be this week?
2: I would say don't panic too much about the cyclone on the capes but watch what happens in the brazil chartering space and see if more cargo emerges there
0: amazing thank you so much carrie we'll see you next week thanks a lot up next we're going to be talking to our steel broker joshua stern to find out who should be trading steel and why that might include you All right, Josh. So welcome to Freight Up. Great to have you here.
3: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very thrilled to be doing a little bit of a steel market update here today.
0: I know we haven't had one before. So you are uh, quite the pioneer in that area. From what I've heard about the steel market, it sounds like it's a really explosive and growing market. Is that the case?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like you just said right there, the word pioneer, I think is a great word for us here at FIS. Uh, We've really been kind of one of the pioneers here in this in the steel and scrap space, you know, being one of the first people to really come into the market and start broking it and making it available to the industry. If we go ahead and look at like the EU HRC market, for instance, I mean, the EU HRC market, you know, was setting records throughout February and January of this year, you know, in terms of volume traded. So there were over about 185 KT that traded there. I think it was 206 in January and somewhere around 160 or 170. So about 180 KT on average there between those two months. So that was really great to see that EU HRC market has really been growing along in line with the U.S. HRC counterpart.
0: So for those of us who may not be as well-versed in the steel market as you are, can you tell us what HRC is?
3: Ah, yes. So Hot Rolled Coil, you have three main contracts for it available, two of them on the CME, one of them on the LME. So the CME ones are going to be your Midwest U.S. HRC. Uh, Then you're also going to have Northwestern Europe, European HRC. And then on the LME, you'll have a proxy Asia contract, so-called the China FOBHRC HRC contract. So that offers you some opportunity there as well to hedge out any risk on the risk uh, on the Asian side of things.
0: That's fascinating. So it sounds like hot rolled coil is a great overall metric for the health and liquidity of the steel market. Is that accurate?
3: Absolutely, is that accurate? Liquidity in the steel markets is really starting to pick up. We're starting to see it really kind of eclipse levels where you can really have large hedging programs come into the market. It's been really positive to see that we've also got a wide range of players involved as well. So we've got everybody pretty much ranging from construction firms to producers to steel service centers to OEMs, just about anybody, you know, the entire banking system, of course. And then you also have some kind of speculative funds there who, you know, just help to bring liquidity into the market and make it more available, essentially, for the physical guys to come in and really make use of it to uh, get to hedge out risk.
0: It looks like from project manager to scrapyard, there's really a place for everyone in the steel market. Is that kind of what the case is?
3: Indeed. Yeah. It's You know, what's also been interesting is we've seen kind of players that you wouldn't have normally or traditionally, I would have said, expected to be in the market. So we started to see quite a bit of interest from, you know, smaller to medium sized uh, enterprises, you know, especially your kind of mom and pop shops, you know, on the scrapyard side of things, you know, family owned businesses that are now essentially looking to use these derivative contracts to again, you know, just be able to really kind of lock in margins, protect themselves against any physical price risk that they may be holding. And again, you know, I think what we're really starting to see the rise of is proper risk management. And that's what these tools are here for. That's why they're available to the market. You know, being able to know what your input cost is going to be for, you know, producing steel if you're buying scrap or what your sale price is going to be for scrap if you're a scrap yard. Things like this would be, um, they're, they're really starting to come to rise, and it's really nice to actually see the market start to adopt this from, yeah, various different parts of the supply chain.
0: And on the topic of risk management, would options be one of those tools that you kind of leverage to help your clients?
3: Indeed. You know, absolutely. The options market has been, uh, to be quite frank, it's been on a tear here in Q1 of, uh, of 23. So options have traded about three hundred and seventy-five KT in all of Cal twenty two last year. In Q one we've traded hundred and eighty six K T so far. So
0: That's incredible. That's half of last year's total in Q one. Is that the case?
3: Indeed. Prices in USHRC have been super high. You know, as we were just saying, they're a hedging strategy or kind of, you know, the rise of hedging and risk management. What we're seeing is a lot of people are coming into the market really wanting to buy puts. Right, because this way they're able to buy some insurance for the downside, and that way, you know, they stay protected in even in adverse conditions. So, I mean, here, kind of going into April, May, a lot of these service centers are starting to come in, and you know, basically, there hasn't really been any real demand. So, what we're seeing is, you know, prices at this level, at these high levels, are starting to scare some market participants, and people are wanting to, uh, yeah, are wanting to purchase protection for the downside. I think that's made even more evident when you look at like the call put ratio over the last couple of years. So from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two, the call put ratio averaged about eighty five percent. In twenty twenty three, we've seen this plummet down to about forty five percent, meaning that people are buying more puts. There's more put open interest out there. As yeah again, you know, people are really wanting to buy that protection or that insurance from the downside. So yeah, that's kind of the uh, the trends that we're seeing there. Options, you know, pretty much puts us on pace to trade about 750 KT by the end of the year.
0: It sounds like a lot of your clients are very new to the market. So for those of us who are considering whether or not we should be hedging our steel orders, what is a call put?
3: Basically, a call is going to be the right but not the obligation to buy the underlying at a set strike price. The strike price is going to be the price that you are going to say, you know, I believe that we're going to cross let's say, 1200 So at any point above 1200 your option would be, quote unquote, making money. Of course, since you would be you know, outlaying that, you would be buying that option, you would have to pay a slight premium for it. So of course, your break-even would be a little bit higher than 1200 So a call option is basically going to give you the right or obligation to buy. Wallet put option gives you the right but not the obligation to sell.
0: That's interesting. So it's kind of like a being married versus dating.
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, you always have an out.
0: <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to really understand the steel markets. Thank you so much, Josh. One last thing is that while I was researching steel, it seems like one of the recurring themes within the steel market is a large focus on the impact that the Turkish earthquake will have on demand. Can you kind of walk us through that situation a bit?
3: Yeah, the earthquakes in Turkey, uh, obviously a devastating, a devastating event. We wouldn't wish that on anyone. I I think that there have been quite a few different perspectives that we've seen in the market. Let's put it that way. Um, You have some people who were expecting Turkey to come back and start buying rebar and start, you know, essentially not producing any rebar that that was for export, you know, basically keeping that all for themselves. And people thought that this was going to kind of come in and, you know, raise prices right away. Actually, on the rebar side, we've kind of seen the opposite. Prices have fallen from about 740, 720 area all the way down here to about 685. Um, I believe 687 and a half is actually the last mark yesterday. One thing that one needs to consider, right, is even on the scrap side of things. I mean, Turkey is the biggest player in both scrap and rebar. So I think it's really important to remember that, again, there was just a devastating, massive natural disaster there you know, ports were affected, businesses were affected, people, most importantly, people were affected, right? So I don't think that you can say, okay, yes, you know, Turkey needs 4 million tons of rebar over the next five years. So that equates to 800K a year, so 200KT a quarter, which is fine. But again, I think one needs to realize that that demand is going to be spread out over quite a few years. So in the meantime, right? Turkey is, of course, going to be generating a lot of scrap because all of these buildings and things. So there is going to be scrap there that's just, that is also going to be available to them to use, you know, scrap rebar as well and such. So I think that the whole Turkish situation has been a little bit overblown in terms of pricing. And I think that it's, you know, this is also why we started to see prices come off, at least in the rebar market, is because, you know, there just, there really isn't that physical demand yet. And you don't just You don't just start building two days after you've had a natural disaster. So I think that, yeah, very much so in the Turkish markets, it's almost time for us to kind of take a step back, realize that there are more important things going on. You know, people, for instance, worrying about where are my family members? Where is X, Y, Z? You know, are we going to be okay? That whole Turkish disaster has been a shocker, has sent shockwaves throughout the entire steel trading community throughout Europe, especially. Yeah, grim times.
0: Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that situation. And on a brighter note, Josh, it sounds like you're going to be putting a lot of effort into democratizing the steel market and uh, really trying to increase the accessibility of it to people who wouldn't otherwise have considered risk management strategies. So can you tell us about some of those initiatives that you're going to be uh, embarking upon?
3: We here at FIS have essentially started to um, develop a little bit of a blog scenario where we're going to be going out and giving out various different, kind of like a learning course almost, where we're going to be going out kind of sharing our knowledge, helping you get a grasp of the products that are available to you, how those products can then actually even be used, and how you can use those to make essentially further grow your businesses. We'll be starting off with quite a bit of uh, blog posting here. We're also going to be going out into Europe. Um, This is a market that we see quite a bit of growth potential in. We'll be attending quite a few steel conferences, presenting about derivatives, meeting various different players there as well, and then also doing a small little roadshow throughout Europe where we're going to be visiting various different cities, inviting prospective clients, and, and teaching people about the steel markets and know how the derivative market can actually go ahead and benefit their physical business as well. So we've got a very, very interesting rest of 2023 uh, planned here. And yeah, we look forward to making our push here further into Europe.
0: That sounds like you have an incredible year ahead of you, Josh. How does one keep track of all of your adventuring?
3: You can absolutely go ahead and follow the FIS LinkedIn page. Alternatively, you can also access our FIS website. Uh, Under the Steel and Scrap page, we'll be posting all of our blogs, podcasts, all the rest of it there as well. And lastly, if you had any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out to me directly. My email address is joshua s at freightinvestor.com. Alternatively, you can also reach me at plus four four seven eight eight nine seven two zero zero seven six.
0: Fantastic. And we'll make sure to link all of those contact details in the description below. Josh, it's been an incredible ride getting to know you. Just last week, uh, I found out that you hadn't eaten a mango before.
3: Yeah, it took me moving out here to Copenhagen to finally eat my first mango, which is uh, odd enough. But yes, I did have my mango. I can tell everyone I didn't cut it in half the correct way. I tried to eat it like an apple. Uh, It didn't work.
0: (laughs) Well, that's Joshua Stern for everyone. uh, Our official mango reporter here at Freight Investor Services. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good one.
0: You too. That's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to join us again next week as we continue to navigate the seas of freight and commodities. If you have any questions that you'd like our experts to answer, make sure to email us at freightup at freightinvestor.com. That's freightup at freightinvestor.com. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week. And as always, make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. See you next week.